A reading from Jeremiah. The word that came to Jerusalem, or from Jeremiah, from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, at one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring to it. And at another moment, I will declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil ways and amend your ways and your doings. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Opthia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, 
whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated for you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. 
You know, it's always remarkable to me after reading a gospel like that, that half of you aren't making your way to the exit by imagining. I mean, who wants to come to church and be told to hate members of your own family, right? Scholars explain a little bit and help a smidge by reminding us that this is very much in the rabbinical pattern. Jesus is using an exaggerated phrase to grab our attention, and indeed the attention of the crowds who are following him for all kinds of different reasons. Some of them are there because they want to see a show. Others are there because they seek healing so that they can get back to their ordinary lives. Still others are there because everybody else is there. And where else would they be? Jesus is reminding them that discipleship is more than just following where the crowds go. And any of you who have any involvement in the markets know that that's true, if nothing else is true, right? Matthew phrases it slightly differently. He says, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than members of your own family. As I said, that helps a smidge, not a lot. Possession is, some people say, nine-tenths of the law. Jesus is pointing us to an entirely different way of being, and one that I hasten to add is absolutely terrifying to all of us who live in the world as we do particularly those of us who have any means at all and who have families to look after. All of us who have children in schools know this time of year our calendars are overflowing and our anxieties are often way up and so are our worries. How will we navigate this year successfully? Will our kids be getting the education they need, let alone what they deserve? Will they be getting ready for what the world throws at them next. And so we tend to take possession, control of the situation, and do everything we can in our power to get them on the right path. What could be more natural than that, right? What could be more natural than that? That is not the life that God is calling us to, ultimately. That is the terrifying message of today's gospel. And yet even more terrifying than that even is that we open our readings today with Jeremiah making threats against the established powers of his time in the court, reminding them that they are like that vessel being formed by a potter on a potter's wheel. And if the potter decides that they're flawed, you ever seen a potter work? One slap of the hand, and it's all done. And then the clay is completely reformed into something new. In other words, Jeremiah is telling the people who are in power, you're not really in power. You're not in control. Needless to say, that doesn't make Jeremiah very popular. Speaking of not saying something very popular, we have this fascinating reading today 
from the letter to Philemon, perhaps one of the most intimate letters in all of the Christian writings of Scripture. A letter written from Paul, probably late in life. He is in prison, likely either in Rome or headed to Rome. And he is writing to a man of means, a man who may have actually been an early bishop, an overseer of a house church, a house, incidentally, that he owned. He hosted the community, probably funded its needs and oversaw it. And being a man of means in the Roman world, he needed lots of help to run that household So likely he was a slave owner. And in fact, Onesimus, the letter seems to indicate, is Philemon's slave. Something has happened. We don't know exactly what, but Onesimus has either run away or left Philemon and gone to Paul and somewhere in that journey has been baptized Christian and came to help Paul attend to his needs in prison, and now Paul is audaciously sending him back to Philemon to be reconciled, not as a slave to an owner, but as a brother in Christ. It's hard to imagine what receiving this letter must have been like for Philemon, but my guess is he probably felt like his world had just been turned upside down. What will the other slaves think? What will I do with my investment in this property? How will he be received by the wider community who who know he's been my slave for a long time? How will I explain this? Did you hear Paul laying it on really thick, really thick, about as thick as it gets. As somebody in our Bible study group said this week, this is about as manipulative as you see Paul get. And Paul is pretty clever. This is world-shattering stuff for the first century. Where does that leave us? The gospel today was written probably for a fairly well-to-do Gentile audience. People like us, people of some means. People who had a lot of worldly affairs to keep in order, households to manage. Some of them may have had slaves that they were keeping. Others of them had families to be concerned about. And if you think that today's message is radical for us in our relationships with our most intimate others. It was even more radical for people living in the first century, particularly people of means who had a legacy that they were planning to leave behind, and that legacy was most realized in their progeny, in their inheritance. Jesus' teaching is that God has come to radically alter the way we structure even our most intimate relations. God is there to get in to the middle of our marriages and our 
most abiding family relationships. God is there to get in the middle between us and our children and us and our parents and us and our siblings, between us and our friends, between us and even the things we hold most dear. But the most dangerous and shocking thing about today's readings and the most terrifying is that as the psalmist writes, God saw us from the very beginning. Even before we saw ourselves, even before we had sight and eyes to see, God saw us most intimately. And because God knows us that well, there really is no possessiveness at all. We don't own anything, really, in God's eyes. Not exactly something to take to Wall Street tomorrow, is it? Shocking stuff. Jesus knows more than we know ourselves that our most intimate relationships are the places where we most tend to be possessive and controlling. Jesus knows that the burdens we bury, the crosses that we bear, if you will, are often most freighted with the trauma of our most intimate relationships, with our family histories, with the things that have gone wrong, with the things that have been most painful and difficult in our most intimate parts of our lives. Jesus reminds us that God knows that. And God wants to heal that. And the only way that God can break into that is for us to let go. To stop trying to control and possess. To allow ourselves and our most intimate relationships to be open to the breath of the Spirit and the love of Christ to make room for God to act in the lives of our children and our spouses and our friends and our siblings and our parents to let go. And as we're fond of saying, to let God in. And it is terrifying. Because it means all of the messages the world has been sending us for all of these years, all of those messages are slightly off. The world has been telling us we own and we possess and we run and we manage and we rise and we fall on our own metal. Jesus is telling us, no, that's not where life is. Life is where God is. Let God in. C.S. Lewis wrote about his conversion sometime around the middle of the 20th century as a most terrifying experience because he went from being a staunch and very rational atheist to a believer. And in that moment, 
he said when he realized that there was a God and he was accountable to that God, he realized, much to his holy terror, that he would never have space he could call his own again. He would never be able to claim to be alone again. He would never think again that he was unseen, in control, in charge. And for that reason, he wrote, he was probably the most miserable convert in all of England at the time. That's what Jesus is on about today. God wants in. And if we let God in, we let God change and take charge of everything. And if God takes charge of everything, we are at risk of being part of a new life. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.